everyone. I didn't know we had to use this screen again. <laughs> um, I have to say, I picked up another virus, and I found it um, yesterday in the afternoon. So I couldn't find any other speaker. So I ended up coming. So I'm going to leave up just after morning service. So don't say hello to me. <laughs> but do stay behind to have fellowship with each other. Let's turn to the Bible. It's Daniel chapter 11. And we'll read from verse 1 to 20. It's Daniel chapter 11, verse 1 to 20. So let me pray before we read the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We also thank you for the truth. We therefore come humbly before you to learn from you. We pray that you open our eyes, ears, and heart that we might be able to discern and find the truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me read out from verse 1 to 20. Also, in the first year of Darius the Mede, uh, even I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stop all against the realm of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he had arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted, even for others beside these. Also the king of the south shall become strong, as well as one of his princes, and he shall gain power over him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. And at the end of some years, they shall join forces, for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement but she shall not retain the power of her authority, and neither he nor his authority shall stand, but she shall be given up with those who brought her, and with him who begot her, and with him who strengthened her in those times. But from a branch of a root, one shall arise in his place, who shall come with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north, and deal with them and prevail. And he shall also carry their gold captive to Egypt with their princess and their precious articles of silver and gold. And he shall continue more years than the king of the north. Also, the king of the north shall come to the king kingdom of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. However, his sons shall stop strife and assemble 
a multitude of great forces. And one shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through. Then he shall return to his fortress and stop strife. And the king of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him, with the king of the north, who shall muster a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hand of his enemy. When he has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up, and he will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. For the king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come at the end of some years with a great army and much equipment. Now in those times, many shall rise up against the king of the south. Also, violent men of your people shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fall. So the king of the north shall come and build a siege mound and take a fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall have no strength to resist. But he who comes against him shall do according to his own will, and no one shall stand against him. He shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his power. He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do. And he shall give him the daughter of women to destroy it. But she shall not stand with him or be for him. After this, he shall turn his face to the coastland and shall take many. But the ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end. And with the reproach removed, he shall turn back on him. Then he shall turn his face toward the fortress of his own land. But he shall stumble and fall and not be found. There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. But within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. Amen. <clears throat> Some of you might find that it's quite complex or even boring, <laughs> but I will let you know uh, why this is important to read. So it deals with the time between Darius the meat to the time of the end. It's quite amazing to know that Daniel had vision from the Lord, not only uh, around his own time, but to the end of time when Jesus comes back is uh, at least 2,400 years before. But it was Daniel who had vision to the end of time from the Lord. So he was loved by God. Uh, I wish, we wish, we could have this kind of vision. It will be exciting to, to know about the future especially as we believe he is in control. And these stories is mainly about Gentile rulers, but impacting Jewish people. So his perspective is worldwide. He 
He wants to save everyone. But as God chose to choose Jewish people first and extend the blessing to all nations, um, his perspective still worldwide, but special interest in Jewish people. So that's why when we uh, read this part, it is about like empires, <coughs> worldly empires, but with special interest in Jewish people. And this chapter 11, from verse 1 to 4, it referred to Persia and Greece, whether you like or dislike, they are empires. And they are the ones who conquer everywhere and still impact upon us and left many artifacts to investigate and find whether the Bible, especially prophecy concerning about them is true. And verse 5 to 20, it referred to words of Ptolemy and Seleucus. Nothing we have to bear in mind, whether you like or dislike, is that especially as we are living in Western countries, we are influenced by Greece and Rome. And this is kind of foundation of Western culture. But I have to say later that it is kind of like secular culture. I'm sorry about <laughs> to people from Greece. So, uh, but yes, we have to say that uh, it's not only like Greek culture, like uh, Syrian as well. It is secular culture. And there is competition uh, between this secular culture and godly uh, culture, especially in Israel. And it also happens with us. And we have to bear in mind to discern and continue to choose the godly culture around us. And verse 21 to 35, so we'll uh, speak until verse 20, but if you read further, verse 21 to 35 of chapter 11, it refers to Antiochus Epiphanes and Maccabees. So it really happened in the past, but it was prophesied before it happened here. But this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, is interesting because he is similar to the Antichrist who would come um, uh, before Jesus comes back. So verse 36 to 45 deals with the last Gentile ruler who will be in power and when Jesus comes back. And another interesting thing is the present church age is skipped over. Um, so when you read prophecy, especially in the Old Testament, it seems that prophet doesn't see that there is a long time of church age, which is at least 2,000 years. It's more than 2,000 years now, but it seems to be skipped over. Uh, anyhow, so that's how Daniel uh, saw the vision. So he saw from Persia and Greece and moved to words of Ptolemy and Seleucus and, and even further to Antiochus Epiphanes and, and, and many to see the vision of last Gentile ruler who we call as the Antichrist. So that's what um, chapter 11 is about, which is very interesting, I find. 
Okay? And it doesn't stop here. Chapter 12 is kind of like additional revelation to chapter 11. And it concerns about the last 1,335 days leading up to the rapture, the great tribulation, and the second coming of Jesus, and even the millennial kingdom. So we start from chapter 11, verse 1 to 20. <clears throat> but before we that, no other portion of scripture presents more precise prophecy than chapter 11, verse 1 to 35. So I'm going to show you how it is fulfilled in our actual history. Uh, it is, in a way, too precise uh, that we, we simply can't deny that um, it is the word of God. And, and also, um, so, it was Daniel chapter 11's actually prophecy that prompted the pagan philosopher whose name is Porphyry, um, who lived in third year AD to attack the book of Daniel as a forgery because you can also see that it was realized in the history. So he began to attack Daniel as forgery and he took the position that Daniel was written after the event occurred. So as he saw that it was too precise, that he began to argue that it was not written before the event, but after the event, and pretending that uh, Daniel gave um, prophecy. But we do know, <coughs> and um, I will continue to show you how reliable this book of Daniel and, and also uh, confirm that it was written before um, the event happened, and we believe that it was written in 6 BC. So verse 1 to 4, it speaks about Persia and Greece. And I think we have to bear in mind that there are many he and she. <laughs> so there's a difficult bit when we read chapter 11. Um, so we see how it goes. And verse 1 said, um, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And there are um, some explanations, different explanations on this part. But we believe this I is likely uh, that the angel uh, stood by Michael. So as you see, this Darius time, it is when uh, Middle Persia took over Babylonian and began to be empire. And this angel stood by Michael, the guardian of Israel, until he succeeded in turning the new kingdom from hostility to favor toward Israel. As I said before, in chapter 10, uh, Bible claim that there are fallen angels, satans, behind every empire. And they try to um, um, control the world, but we also find from chapter 10, when I spoke uh, on it, 
that it was God who used his own angels um, to, um, to control the world. And we know from the history that Babylonian kingdom was very hostile to Jewish people. But strange enough that the trend of hostility changed during Persian Empire. And it says in verse 1 that this angel stood by Michael to help him to change that trend we can understand. And then verse 2, if you go to verse 2. So three more kings will arise in Persia. So it's not four or two, it should be three. And we know from the history there are three kings uh, before verse 3. So Cambyses, Pseudo-Smodis, and also Darius the first. And verse 2, it says, The fourth shall be far richer than them all, and he shall stop all against the realm of Greece. So you can see that this part was prophesied, and this part was actual realization. And we know from the history, after three kings, there was a king called Xerxes first. And uh, another interesting thing is this Xerxes might be the Ahasuerus of Esther chapter 1 um, uh, when Esther uh, married. So he appeared in the book of Esther. Uh, he was very powerful after three kings, but he made disastrous expedition against Greece, and then he failed. Uh, and this expedition against Greece might have occurred between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Esther. And verse 3, it says, a mighty king shall arise. And we know that after Xerxes first, there is a guy from Greece whose name is Alexander the Great. Uh, if you see the great, it doesn't mean that they are good guys or godly guys. Um, they invaded many, many land. And this guy was very interesting. He, um, if he lived for a long time, um, we might have more Greek culture uh, around us. His aim was to, to make everyone Greek in terms of culture, politics, uh, construction, everything. Uh, anyway, yes, this mighty king shall arise in verse 3. And Alexander Great, in conquering the Persian Empire, was repaying Persia for the attack by Xerxes first in verse 2. And then this Alexander kingdom, his kingdom, shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted, even for others beside this. And we know from the history that after Alexander Greek, there are four divisions from his kingdom, and they are not um, like offsprings of Alexander. They are generals. 
and they began to fight each other, and they end up um, dividing uh, Alexander Great land into four parts. So Macedon and Greece went to Cassander, Thrace and Asia Minor went to Lysimachus, Syria and Babylon went to Seleucus, and Judah and Egypt went to Ptolemy. So this was fulfilled literally in that his kingdom was shattered after his death and divided among his four generals instead of given to his offspring. So we'll see the map. So as you see, there are four. So one, two, three, four kingdoms after Alexander the Great. But please do remember Seleucus and also Ptolemy because they are greater than the other two, and they are the ones who intervened in Israel here. So that's why God deals more with these two kingdoms, because they are the ones who invaded Israel more often. And then verse 5 to 20, it speaks about the kings of south, and also north. So if you go back to the picture, so kings of south means Ptolemy, and kings of north means Seleucus. And there are many first, second, third, fourth um, Seleucus or Ptolemy appearing. And Seleucus, um, they also uh, brought uh, the kings whose name were Antiochus. Do you know Antioch? There are many Antiochs. Uh, they end up having 16 Antioch in this region. The reason why they made, uh, named city as Antioch because of this family of Antiochus. So either Seleucus or Antiochus were the king's names uh, on northern part of Israel and Ptolemy was the one who invaded this Egypt area. And they either go up or go down and try to just conquer that area of Israel. So the, um, it's verse 5, it says, The king of the south shall become strong. So Ptolemy first he, so this Ptolemy first was the king of the south in verse 5. So beginning in verse 5, the struggle between the various kings of the south, namely Egypt, and the kings of the north, namely Syria, continued until the time of Antiochus first Epiphanes. And this was period about 150 years. Years. So verse 1 to 20 deals with this complex history. And verse 5, it says, Also the king of the south, who is Ptolemy, shall become strong, as well as one of his princes, um, who is Seleucus. And he, Seleucus, shall gain power over him, Ptolemy, and have dominion. So his dominion shall be a great dominion. Which means, so if you go back to the map, 
they used they, they, they are stronger than this kingdom, but it was them who invaded Israel first, but after that, they managed to come back and also conquer Israel. So that's general history of Israel, but in general, Seleucus, the kingdom of Seleucus, was mightier than the kingdom of Ptolemy. As you see, um, as we examine history as well as the prophecy of Daniel chapter 11, it would be easy to just find fault um, if it doesn't fit with the history and prove that prophecy was wrong. But as you can see, in too precise and also in detail, it has been like realized in real history, which we can say that this is indeed the work uh, and also word of God. So uh, verse 6, it says, the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement. So it happened when Ptolemy II sent his daughter uh, Berenice to marry Antiochus II Deus to form an alliance. The marriage was consummated at the demand of Ptolemy who required Antiochus to divorce his own wife, Laodicea, in order to facilitate this marriage. So though they fought each other, they sometimes made alliance. And the typical way of making alliance is to send your daughter and, and, and marry the king, as we know well from the history. So that's what happened here. And this Ptolemy II was also interesting. He was the one who, who commanded Old Testament translated into Greek, Septuagint. So Septuagint um, has come out uh, because of command of this Ptolemy II. And as I said before, Antiochus, it's not only this Antiochus, there are some other Antiochus, so family of Antiochus, um, so cities, like 16 cities uh, in that Middle East uh, was named after this family of Antiochus, which makes us a bit confusing when we read the Bible. Uh, Bible didn't specify which Antioch it is, but there are 16 Antioch uh, when it says uh, about Antioch in the Bible. Anyway. If you decide to study a bit, yeah, we'll find where it was. And then, is verse 6, it says, She shall not retain the power of authority, and neither he who is Antiochus II, nor his authority shall stand. But she shall be given up with those who brought her, and with him who begot her, um, who is Ptolemy II, and with him who strengthened her in those times. So what happened in history was Antiochus' first wife, as I said in verse uh, 6, um, she was abandoned, and 
this Laodicea, the first wife of Antiochus, conspired to have Antiochus and Berenice killed, and also Ptolemy II died at about the same time. And then is verse 7 and 8. So it reads, From a branch of her who is Berenice, root, one shall arise in his place who shall come with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north, and deal with them and prevail. And he shall also carry their gold captive to Egypt with their princess and their precious articles of silver and gold. And he shall continue more years than the king of the north. So what happened in the history was Berenice's brother, Ptolemy III, he defeated Seleucus II and returned to Egypt with his spoil. So as I said, in the beginning, there are many fightings, alliance, but it is it all written in chapter 11. And verse 8, it says, he shall continue more years than the king of the north. Um, it's a bit uh, difficult to understand, but ESV says, in this verse, it says, he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north, which means the king of south, he stopped uh, war with king of north. So from 241 to 223 BC, the two nations were at peace. And then next one, verse 9, it says, Also the king of the north shall come to the kingdom of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. So Seleucus II hoped to retake part of his kingdom from Ptolemy III, but was not successful. Let me just continue to read. And verse 10, he is, who is Seleucus II, sons shall stop strife and assemble a multitude of great forces, and one Antiochus III, shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through. Then he shall return to his fortress and stop strife. So Antiochus III the Great recaptured territory in Phoenicia from Ptolemy IV. And although Seleucus II was unsuccessful in his attack on Egypt, his successors described as his sons proved to be more successful. So Antiochus III uh, was able to mount several campaigns against Egypt and restored to Syria, the territory as far south as Gaza. This Antiochus the Great, so we see the Great again. He lived long life and he invaded many places but he was not great as Alexander the Great because of some mistakes, but yeah, he did quite well. Um, and then verse um, 11 and 12. So it says, and the king of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him with the king of the north who shall muster a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hand of his enemy. 
So when he who is Ptolemy fourth has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up and he, he will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. That's what was written in chapter 11, verse 11 and 12. And, and in actual history, Ptolemy IV defeated Antiochus forces at the Battle of Raphia in 217 BC. And according to Polybius, who is writer and historian, Antiochus lost nearly 10,000 footmen and had another 4,000 captured. So as verse 12 indicates, however, the Egyptian monarch was too lazy to pursue his advantage. So that's why it says that, but he will not prevail. And verse 13, it says, for the king of the north will return and muster multitude greater than the former. So Antiochus the Great, he launched the second invasion of the coastal region of Syria following the death of Ptolemy IV. And then verse 14, many shall rise up against the king of the south. Also violent men of your people who is Israel shall exhort themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fall. So Israel even uh, fought with Antiochus against the king of the south, according to verse 14's prophecy, and it actually happened. So some pro-Seleucid Jews joined forces with Antiochus to fight against Egypt in history. And verse 15, it says, the king of the north shall come and build a siege mount and take a fortified city, and the forces of the south shall withstand him. Even his, who is Ptolemy V, choice troops shall have no strength to resist. This Ptolemy V is also interesting. If you go to British Museum, you will see Rosetta Stone. And this uh, is made by this Ptolemy V in Egypt. But in history, Antiochus forces defeated the forces of Ptolemy V at the Battle of Taneas near Mount Hormon and capture the city of Sidon. And verse 16, he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his power. So glorious land means Israel. So this Antiochus, he managed to invade uh, Israel. So following the battle of Panias in 198 BC, Antiochus controlled the promised land and this victory resulted in the Syrian occupation of all the land of Israel as far south as Gaza. So as I said before, the Seleucus, uh, though they are mightier than Ptolemy, the Ptolemy, the kingdom of Ptolemy was the one who invaded Israel first. And then when we reached to this Antiochus, he was one who managed to regain uh, Israel from the kingdom of Ptolemy. So there is change of occupier in Israel. And verse 17, it says, he shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do. And he, Antiochus III, 
shall give him Ptolemy V the daughter of women to destroy it, but she shall not stand with him or be for him. So in history, Antiochus sent his daughter Cleopatra first to marry Ptolemy V in 197 BC, a part of the peace treaty with Egypt. This is not Cleopatra we know of. Um, the famous one was Cleopatra VII, but this Cleopatra was first Cleopatra. If you go to the British Museum again, there is mummy of Cleopatra, but it's not that famous one we know of. Uh, anyway, yeah, um, Antiochus sent his daughter Cleopatra first to marry Ptolemy V to make like peace treaty with Egypt. And verse 18, it says, He shall turn his face to the coastland and shall take many, but the ruler. So that is when the Rome entered here. This ruler represents Rome, shall bring the reproach against them to an end. So Antiochus attacked Asia Minor and Greece, but Rome intervened and defeated him at um, Thermopylae and later at Magnesia, forcing Antiochus to abandon this conquest. So Rome uh, began to appear from the history from here. And verse 19, it says, he shall turn his face toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. So actual history is one year after the treaty with Rome, Antiochus was killed. This was important because Antiochus the Great was followed by Seleucus IV, who in turn was succeeded by Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And we know that this notorious persecutor of the Jews described in detail in Daniel 11, uh, Daniel chapter 11, verse 21 to 35. And lastly, verse 20 says, There shall arise in his place one, Seleucus IV, who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. So actual history is Seleucus IV, he succeeded Antiochus, and he sent Heliodorus, his finance minister, to Jerusalem to seize the temple treasury later. Heliodorus, his finance minister, he apparently assassinated Seleucus. So that's why it says that, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. So what shall we do here? And what we try to do here? We have to confess, as we saw from this detailed prophecy and also fulfilled in actual history, that it's not um, empires who is the king. Our God is the real king, and he is in control. And we also have to confess that his reign is all of the world, not only Israel, 
but all of the world, as um, Daniel gave this vision. And as we say from the beginning, his perspective, our God's perspective is worldwide, but with special interest in Israel, his chosen people. I believe God wants to save everyone, including Koreans, English, British, <laughs> Scottish, everyone, as well as Jewish people. But the way which God chose to extend his blessing and also his salvation was to choose one people, made a covenant with them, and extend that blessing to all nations. So that's why, in God's point of view, Israel is important. Because he shouldn't give up Israel as um, they are chosen by God. And we know from um, Romans that God will extend this blessing of salvation after he saved all nations to Israel and also saved them with same grace and mercy. And it also shows how the world was like Hellenized. As I said in the beginning, you know, to understand Western culture, we have to study about um, Hellenistic and even Roman cultures. Whether we like or dislike, that is our foundation. But the question is whether this culture is secular or godly fearing culture. And I have to say, after I studied a bit, is um, secular culture, which influenced on us um, enormously. Uh, we are concerned about the spread of Islam, but I have to say, like loving money, loving sex, like that homosexual trend, these kind of things we have to bear in mind and are concerned about. And at the end of the day, I believe not like culture of other religions, but this secular trend uh, will consume us and try to attack us. And, and many people will be persuaded and follow that trend. And uh, we know from the Bible that it causes competition between Hellenistic or Syrian, and we call it as secular, and Hebrew, God-fearing culture. As Israel was exactly in between Egypt and Syria, and she had always faced tension and threat between these two key regions. But the sad thing is, if you continue to read the Bible, they didn't do well. So only a few Jews remained in their worship of the God of Israel. And it's a good lesson for us. And as the other side of coins, I can say, the Hellenization of the region was used by God to let foreign peoples encounter the God of Israel and to establish faithful Gentiles, believing Gentiles in Jesus. So, this Hellenization was not like bad um, always. There is advantage of this Hellenization. I spoke on Septuagint when I explained about one of kings 
And because of Septuagint, um, these foreign people, like me, you, we, we managed to read the Word of God and also be fed by the Word of God at that time. But the question is, how then should we find the truth in our own languages and cultures, but discern between our secular culture and his godly culture? And I believe the challenge is still with us. I have to say, Jewish people didn't do well, so only a few Jews remained in their worship of the God of Israel when they are faced with these secular cultures. But it's the same with every nation. We have to discern. We, are, we have to be grateful that we've got a Bible in our own language. And in a way, God used other cultures to spread the good news of Jesus to other nations. But we also have to discern between our secular culture and his godly culture. So this challenge is still on us. And yeah, I can say, though it sounds to be a bit boring, <laughs> I learn a lot, and I hope you do. And, and in a way, um, we are faced with similar situation with this complex uh, like phenomenon, but we are the one who should uh, discern and choose his godly culture and still stay as light and salt in this fallen world. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for giving us this detailed prophecy on the future to confirm that your word is true and from you. We therefore commit ourselves to your hand, though we are small in number and also weak in power, you help us be strong in Holy Spirit and also give us um, your, your boldness to face with this general trend of secular societies that we might still shine your light upon other people. We pray, though, it seems that this general trend is massive and try to overwhelm us. We pray that as we confess that you are mightier than any other any other kings that we might continue to rely upon you and gain victory from you to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.